church. Would you join me tonight in Psalm 60, uh, 60, Psalm 16? I'm going to preach a whole sermon I hadn't planned there. Uh, Psalm 16. It would be, I believe, page 478 on the Pew Bibles. Psalm 16. Protect me, God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have nothing good besides you. As for the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones. All my delight is in them. The sorrows of those who take another God for themselves will multiply. I will not pour out their drink offerings of blood, and I will not speak their names with my lips. Lord, you are my portion and my cup of blessing. You hold my future. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who counsels me, even at night when my thoughts trouble me. I always let the Lord guide me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My body rests securely. For you will not abandon me to Sheol. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. You reveal the path of life to me in your presence of abundant joy at your right hand are eternal pleasures. As you read through this psalm, especially if you have a bent towards preaching, there are numerous texts that jump off the page that want to be preached. My passage tonight is not one of them. I don't say that by way of complaint. I say that by way of reminder that Scripture is meant to be studied. And I think those of you who have put the effort into it will realize it is often after hard work that something begins to make sense and stands out. But those are the truths that will stick with you for the rest of your life. Those are the things that will change you. So my passage tonight is this one. As for the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones. All my delight is in them. If this was written from the perspective of God speaking, it would be easier. But this is written from the perspective of the psalmist, who is King David, and he is saying this. Now, what in the world is going on? Why is this important? Why is it here? Well, if you look back, he has just said this. You are my Lord. I have nothing good besides you. And this kind of gives us an indication of we're flowing here with a pattern. Now, remember again, this is poetry. So poetry usually uses symbols to point us in a direction. And this particular phrase that he uses here is often used speaking of angels. But we're almost can be sure that it's not angels because he says they're the ones who are in the land. That would indicate the people. Now, if you're an Israelite, I think you would immediately think of a passage such as Deuteronomy chapter 7, starting at verse 6, where God says to the people as they're going into the land, For you are a holy people belonging to the Lord your God. The Lord God has chosen you for his own possession. Out of all the peoples of the face of the earth, the Lord had his heart set on you and chose you, not because you were more numerous than all the people, for you were the fewest of all the people, 
But but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your fathers, he brought you out with a strong hand and redeemed you from the place of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps his gracious covenant loyalty for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his command. So I think the people would have understood very clearly that this was a reference to them. And their king, David, is saying that in some sense, he takes delight in them. And he says, they're first they're the holy people. That is, they're set apart for God. God has made them holy. And he says, you are, they are the noble ones. Now, again, this is one of those words we don't use a lot in the English language. Um, my mother's family comes from England where they have nobles. Um, here, not so much. But it's not being spoken here in terms of a, a position, but as those who have moral excellence. So David, as he looks out and he says here that the holy people in the land, they're the excellent ones. All my delight is in them. Now he's just said he has nothing good besides God. And now he says, all my delight is in these people. Now, David, again, he's speaking here poetically, but why is it that he would delight in them? Well, I believe it is this, that as he looks at the people, he sees the work of God. He sees people who are holy, who don't deserve to be holy, but God has called them to be holy. Now, I think it it emphasizes this if we look quickly at at verse 4, where he says, The sorrows of those who take another God for themselves will multiply. I will not pour out their drink offerings of blood, and I will not speak their names with my lips. I'm not remembering them. The ones who are sinners, the ones who follow false gods, who deny God, I don't want anything to do with them. I do not remember them. But I delight in seeing God's people and God's work in them. Now, biblically speaking, when we talk about someone being holy, only God is holy in and of himself. Everyone else listed in scripture who is referred to as being holy is derivative. And that is that they are made holy by God. They're not holy in and of themselves, but they're only holy because God has created them. So so David, when he looks at the people, when he sees their righteousness, when he sees that holiness, it's a reminder that God is at work. It reminds him of God's provisions for them. And this is what causes delight. Now, humanly speaking, we see that. Now, about five weeks ago, all the Crossmans, all my brothers, their families and all, drove to a little town in Kentucky to a barn in the middle of nowhere. Now, it was a fancy barn, but we were celebrating the wedding of one of my nephews and his wife. They had been married a whole year, but because of events, nobody was able to make it to the official one. And they had asked me if I would officiate at it, and I said, that's fine, you're already married, I can't mess it up. So... (laughs) We had that wedding, and one of the things that we did in it, as they exchanged their rings, they had engraved in the rings initials for a phrase that was in the rings of my parents. And it was a remembrance. And it stood for each for the other, together for God. 
But they wanted to remember the heritage of the family coming down. Now, we took great delight in being together as a family and celebrating. A few weeks later, the brother, the twin brother of the nephew who got married, just about supper time, sends a picture to the entire family, a selfie of he and his girlfriend, and they're in Prominent in the middle of the picture is her hand with this shiny object on it. And as we already celebrated tonight, the joy that goes with that. Because we we enjoy seeing good happen to those who are members of our, our family. But you see, as close as we are held together by DNA that makes us biologically similar, as believers we are held to an even closer relationship by God's grace that has called each one of us who are in faith into his presence, who we now now benefit from all that he has done for us. And what David, I think, is saying here is that we should delight as we look at one another, as we see the things that God is doing. We delight in that. When we listen to Kevin preach us this morning, and he makes it look so easy. It's not, I'm telling you. But he makes it easy. And we see God's grace at work, do we not? Because God has provided for us that we might be fed spiritually. When we look at the different events in each of our lives, you know, as human beings, we tend to get jealous when something goes good for someone else and they get something that we want, that we really desire. But the point of what David is is saying in this psalm is that God provides everything we need. And the hard part as a human being is recognizing that when my brother or sister gets something I wanted and I don't get it, it's because God has determined they need it and I don't, at least at that point. But what God calls us to do is delight in that because it is evidence of God's grace. You know, again, jealousy comes in so easily, does it not? But the word of God would remind us in this verse that you probably wouldn't have heard of you would have skipped over, is the importance of this. That God's people are to be our delight. Seeing what God is doing in their lives. And I I think, I know I at least am very weak on this, is taking the time to recognize that. You know, it's, it's all good for them, but that's God's grace. These are people we will spend eternity with, with God. When we will see the All of it coming together. But we are told now to delight in them. David is a king delighted to see his people doing well. To see God's working. But as an individual, I think he saw that just as much. That God, the God who spoke the universe in existence. The God who, if we had continued on in in Exodus, that passage in Exodus, it would have talked about how God destroys those who are against him. The fact that we're together even tonight, that we're sitting here worshiping God, that we're hearing his word proclaimed, is an evidence of God's grace that we give far too little thanks for. But I would encourage us each to take the time to see what God is doing in each one of our lives and to take delight in it, to thank God that he has done these wonderful things. To show him the gratitude that he actually deserves. Let's pray.
Father, we confess that our lives are often so wrapped up in ourselves that we fail to, to see the very things that you've given us. So, Father, we would even ask tonight, give us the ability to appreciate your works of grace in our brothers and sisters. Cause us, Father, to delight not just in, in them, but in the, what it shows that we have a God who loves us so much that he provides the very needs that we have. Lord, would you just be glorified. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.